This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Book Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mug Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Woo, the red light's on. Don't leave that in for the love of God. <laughs> I thought that was a new start. Oh, I'm going to have to freshen it up at some point, I think, but probably, probably not like woo that. Woo is good. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. My name is Chris Hambling and I'm your guide today as we take a look back at Palace's 2-1 defeat in Sellers Park against Watford. A similar story of not taking chances emerged as Palace threw away a 1-0 lead to lose the game and put a damp night on some recent good results. As well as looking at all the key talking points from the game, we'll also be covering a selection of listener contact throughout the show. The panel tonight is Mike Scott, Chris Clark and Tim Warren. We'll be back with you after this short break. Love our podcast. Listen to our live radio show on Love Sport every Thursday, 7 till 9 p.m., 558 a.m., DAB Digital Radio and online, lovesportradio.com. Okay, before we get going, a little bit of admin for you. The Back of the Nest website, backofthenest.com, is up and running. Loads of articles going on there, much more to come. Uh, I'll even write some stuff this week. Uh, well, I'm planning to anyway. Let's see if I get round to it. Um, but it's uh, starting to build up uh, some decent amount of content. Should be some video stuff going on there soon. Um, I think DR did a match reaction this week. Uh, if you're missing him, as he's not been on the last couple of review shows, although he is, of course, on Love Sport, which is Tuesdays, 7 till 9 p.m. Uh, please remember, loads of you have been doing this, so really appreciative of it. But please remember, on your whatever your chosen podcast app is, to rate us. And obviously, you're going to rate us five stars because, quite frankly, we're brilliant. Um, and obviously rating us five stars um, and giving that level of feedback enables us to reach more people, which is what we really want to do. And you can also do that the old-fashioned way, word of mouth, um, threatening people with violence if they don't listen, that kind of stuff. Any other ideas, guys? Oh, you got me at the threatening violence, really. I don't know what else I'd really go for. Those, yeah. those are the two main things, aren't they? Yeah. Recommending things and then threatening people with violence. Those go are two go up to ways. someone's throat with some with what looks like a knife and just stick it to their throat and be like, listen to the back of the nest. And then... Yeah. <laughs> 
you uh, stop yourself swearing there, which is pretty good. Anyway, so uh, that is that is the voice of, of Mike Scott. So he's the first one from the panel uh, to introduce. Mike, how are we? I'm all right. I mean, yesterday was a bit disappointing, wasn't it? Um, but I did have like a premonition before the game. So on Bet365, I put Palace to be winning at half-time and, what, and Watford to be winning at full-time at 33-1, to 1, which took the edge off it slightly. Um, then I went home to a sick kid who kept me up two nights in a row, poor girl. And then I've been dealing with my other kid today, learning, properly learning about death. So there's a guy um, that he sort of vaguely knew that got hit by a bus and died. And uh, he was trying to work out when he's coming back and stuff. And I was like, no, no, he's not. So then he was thinking about exhuming his, his body. Um, I was like, you can't, you can't really do that. Um, so I've left a four-year-old very, very confused. Um, and that, yeah, that was the, the high point of my weekend, I think. I mean, not only does it give perspective, but I guess he's, is he too young to potentially talk about the concept of reincarnation? Ah, um, uh, I didn't, I didn't bring that up. Well, I, there I, you go. Maybe I next didn't, chat. I didn't even get to the, well, you're going to be a Palace fan, so you're going to have to get used to this kind of life's lows kind of talk. Um, yeah, he, he did a lot of the talking. He was like, so in his box underground, has he still got his eyes? Has he got his head? <laughs> wow. Has he got his arms? Uh, and I was, I, I said yes, but you know, I don't know because I don't know how hard he got hit by the bus. But oh um, my days! Well, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! I suppose from a practical point of view, you know, that was that is true. That is true, and I'm, mm. hopefully you didn't go too far into that discussion. No, no, left uh, it there. Left it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? Kids, they ask difficult questions. You know, sometimes sometimes you don't have the right answers. Sometimes you say things you shouldn't. Yeah. You know, but they've got to learn, haven't they, Mike? They do indeed. Right, so <laughs> that's, a, that's a good update from you there, Mike. Uh, we've also got Chris Clark today. Hello, Hello Chris. Chris. You all right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What have you been up to uh, this week? Have you distracted yourself from football in any way? Uh, drinking mainly, um, and I'm currently drinking um, Iceberg by the Titanic Brewery, which I discovered on the away trip to Stoke uh, a couple of seasons ago, uh, which is very nice. Um, I'm also um, in discussions with a young lady on a dating site called Bumble, um, who has now gone quiet when I mentioned that I was doing a football podcast. So thanks, guys. Yeah, they 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 do that, mate. <laughs> best, best, not, best not to yeah. mention it. Sometimes I, I think you're fine. Well, it's going really well. Um, Wow, wow. I mean, eye-openers everywhere this week. I'm scared to ask Tim what, what, what he's got to say. Tim? Well, in terms of disappointment, I think I was kind of ready for yesterday's disappointment. Um, my expectations have gone down quite a bit, really, since uh, before the season started, when I thought this was going to be a year and we were going to turn it around and you know be positive from uh, the very beginning. Um, although, of course, we were in that first game. Um, so... Yes, the way it kind of panned out yesterday didn't really surprise me and I, I didn't let myself get too wound up, which is easier said than done, I know. Um, and like Mike, I also had a little bet yesterday, uh, which relied on one more booking. Uh, and then Tom cleverly uh, kicked uh, Aaron Wampasaka up in the air in literally the last second of injury time. So that just gave me a, a little something to sort of be satisfied about, but obviously not satisfied about the result. Yeah, but you're... Your bets usually for about forty pence or something like that. No, it was so, a pound, Chris, it was a pound, so a, a fifteen pound back. So you know, let's let's not uh, exaggerate too much. Austerity is over. Changing. Pardon? 
said austerity is over, remember? Well, yeah, you know, Brexit and stuff coming, you've got to be prepared. So, you know, hey, let's not get political on this show. Everyone knows how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. <laughs> Keep politics off of... Uh, sorry, sorry. Oh, I nearly bad. called us our old name there. Sorry, comrade. Yeah. Anyway, um, right. It's time. Um, but just before we move on, Mikey has demanded that we talk about the fact that Johan Kabai is... Now a free agent, he left his his club in, I want to say Qatar, something like that. I wasn't paying enough attention uh, when he left us, but he has left his club. He's now a free agent. I seem to recall there being some Instagram thing shared not too long ago when he was back in Croydon. What do we think? Uh, I mean, I I don't personally. I'm I'm not so sure uh, whether or not he must have left his club for a reason, I guess. But he was still a huge player for us last year, so I wouldn't be against it on a free transfer. He seems to be loving life over there, though. If you if you follow his Instagram, um, he's always like on a beach, like bronzed, like with a bit of olive oil on him, um, like and in the <laughs> distance is some like enormous Abu Dhabi building. Uh, I'm not so sure that he'd swap that for Croydon, and I get the impression his family are quite enjoying it. So, yeah, I think that's a bit of a pipe dream. You can still cover yourself in oil and Croydon if that's what you want to do. That's yeah, I, I suppose you can. Morley's, Morley's oil, yeah. Out of fact. <laughs> and we have better pubs here too. Well, yeah. Listen, you've been very drink-heavy straight away. What's what's going on there, Chris? Problems at home? Well, no, you've described your problems, haven't you? So, sorry, mate, them, mate. take it back. You carry them. on. <laughs> I'm not going there, though. <laughs> For the record, I'm drinking tribute again this week. Wonderful, wonderful Good beer. And, uh yeah, but I can, I can only have the one though. I can I can have more. It's just a bad idea. Um, right, okay. Let's get on with the match review. So I'm going to give a little bit of an overview, overview apparently, or an overview uh, for everybody. And then, guys, you can argue with me if you like, or add bits if you like. Uh, and then we'll get into a bit of some statistical analysis that I bored myself silly with this afternoon. So, uh, I would say it was a scrappy first half, summed up with the scrappiest of goals for Palace to lead one at half time. I uh, felt like we shaded possession, but it could be argued a draw at half-time might have been a little bit more fair. Obviously, we all had concerns watching uh, Vicente Guaita hobble off with his calf injury, and it did prove to be well-founded. Um, as just an impressive start, I felt, for the second half, was ruined by some abject defending, yes, but some horrible, horrible goalkeeping uh, for the equaliser before cleverly uh, volleyed that goal past a static Hennessy into the top corner. Uh, we'll analyse those goals a little bit later on. The changes made were once again, they felt a little bit too late and a little bit too conservative for us to get back in the game. And once again, the Selhurst faithful had to go home after a poor home result. Well, talking about the, the goalkeeping situation, um, my season ticket holder mate next to me, Simon, uh, was chatting to me just as um, Guetta kind of came out for a for a cross, you know, he collected it beautifully. And his comments to me was, do you think Wayne would have done that? And then literally, it must have been two minutes later, it was like, well, we're going to find out now. And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, fair to say that uh, we certainly found out in the second half without trying to jump too far ahead. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point you make, Tim. I, you know, I thought exactly the same thing when when he came tearing out of his goal and, and to catch a ball in a position where you just think that's what, what people are talking about. We've had some interesting discussions sort of off air in our various Facebook chats over sort of reading too much into uh, to the sort of body language you get from Vicente Guaita. But, you know, body language is an important thing and he always looks 
much more set, much more ready than, than Wayne Hennessy ever has done, in my opinion. Uh, and I think that catch is exactly the sort of thing that, that I agreed with, with you, mate, that, that Wayne doesn't do. Um, I honestly didn't think it, things would turn out as bad as they did. I think we got an incredible contrast in the one game to kind of emphasise the debate that's been raging with with Hennessy. Um, again, like I say, we'll analyse the detail of the goal in a in a moment. But I think I think it was pretty clear for all to see that not only did you know did we feel a little that little well the whole the whole defence just seemed to lose their composure and, and I it just you know all the the suggestions from people that you know the the back four don't have confidence in him. Um, I think that just came to a head yesterday. I mean, I think it's fair to say he's probably had better weeks. Um, and so it was probably like the kind of the worst case scenario for him having to come on in this game after the week that he's had with uh, social media and everything else without trying to dwell on on that, what happened last weekend. Um, but although I think the crowd did their best to sort of give him a rousing sort of ovation uh, when he came on, I think it's fair to say that everyone in the ground was nervous and that included uh you know, a back four as well. Um, and that kind of showed in the performance thereafter. But I just wanted to ask though, do you think it's bothered him that much? Because I don't really know whether he's totally sold on his sort of own argument that, you know, he was just trying to get someone's attention and it might be water off a duck's back. Um, he hasn't, he hasn't come out and said, Oh, you know, in the, in the way he did, when he said, oh, fans don't really like me, he hasn't come out and said, oh, no, you don't believe me. Um, I just, just wonder whether he actually has noticed the amount of um, the sort of stick that he's getting. You know, there was a few people making amusing uh, gestures back at him as he came on the pitch yesterday. Um, but it might he might genuinely think that people believe him. You know, Hodgson's come out and backed him, so... I was waiting for Tim to speak there, but he's, he hasn't said anything yet. Sorry, sorry. Um, I was looking at um, his Twitter account um, after last weekend, and he didn't look like he's posted anything for a couple of years. And that was his first post was the apology uh, of what happened and the explanation. So it suggests to me that he perhaps doesn't even go on social media. So, you know, whether that's one reason why he doesn't get sort of bothered by these things. He definitely doesn't. And the only time you see him go on Twitter tends to be uh, when he's on Welsh duty and then suddenly he posts loads of pictures. But, you know, I'm sure he's had his fingers burnt in the past. Um, but yeah, in, in this case, I, I'm, you know, he got he got sung on the pitch when he came on, you know, the chance of Wayne Hennessy for a while. I, I, I think he probably thinks that most people back him. I'm, I'm not sure if that's wise, but um, I, I, I think that's how he feels. No, it's not, I'll be honest, it's not a subject that I, I feel we're going to get much mileage from because what what's been you know everything's been said on it already really it happened just after we finished our last show you know and obviously obviously there's been a a week between that and I think what's interesting is we 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 actually retweeted that picture and didn't notice it <laughs> so um um but when we did notice look I, I I'd say my my piece on it is you know first of all that clearly the the club are back in his version of events and I think it's important to recognise that you can't disprove what he says. You know, my my personal opinion is it looks, despite the fact that there was a picture like it of him gesturing to someone at a game, and you never know what happens when you just captured that one little moment. You know, he could be in movement at that moment, and it's just incredibly bad luck, and maybe he, he is that unlucky. I'm not so sure, but you know, my my gut feeling on it is is that it was just uh, someone who's not too bright making some poor poor banter. You know, and who, and who who are we to say that? 
that level of banter doesn't get a laugh within that change room. I don't, I don't know. All I'll say on it is, if it if it wasn't deliberate, he's extremely unlucky. And if it was deliberate, it was just silly. You know, clearly, clearly the guy isn't an Nazi. You know what I mean? He's, I don't think anyone's genuinely thinking that. But I think, you know, we could have done without that distraction. And he really, you know, again, it's just something very, very silly. And I hope he learns from it. I, I think what more what I meant is that I, I don't think his performance was was because of that. I think his performance was because he's Wayne Hennessy, uh, yeah, essentially. Uh, yeah, I, I'll go along with that. And look, we'll we'll, we'll get into his performance in, in a little bit. Um, so I just want to, uh, there's, there's one little stat that I wanted to mention and it sort of leads me on to a few other things and that's that Palace have lost six of our 11 home Premier League matches this season. We've won two and drawn three. Uh, only one fewer than we lost during the entirety of the 2017-2018 campaign, which is seven. Um, and it is it is reflecting of a very poor home record. And I kind of it kind of got lost because we won two on the bounce uh, at home. But we've only scored, and I'll get into this later on. We've only scored six goals at home as well. And um, really, it's an extremely poor return. And we don't look comfortable at home. We're back to this. We only know how to play. We play best on the break, and we don't know how to break teams down, and all that kind of stuff. And it's been a problem for a very long time. And it's the source of a lot of uh, frustration for me. So anyway, let's let's move on from the summary and let's get into some statistical stuff. So I used a, a few websites for this, guys. I felt I just felt this week we needed a bit of research, you know, rather than just winging it. <laughs> I say we do every week. We we all tend to do a little bit of uh, analysis and look at you know rewatch the highlights, that kind of stuff to try and remind us of things. But I was really I'd seen a couple of really good points being made elsewhere. I think one of them was. Uh, by Andy Street from FYP, he was looking at Wilf's um, success uh, as a forward versus his success as a winger, if you like, and was um, it's very clear that Wilf has more success as a forward, but interestingly playing in the free role that he played last season rather than playing in a sort of static role. I was really interested to read that, and I started delving into things like average positions and heat maps and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, okay, it's not the most fascinating stuff for everybody, but um, I was I was, had a it was an interesting look at our overall season and our overall strengths and weaknesses. Um, but I've looked specifically at this game um, this afternoon uh, before the recording started. So we went with a 4-3-3. But what I, I'll start us off, guys, and talk about the fact that we have switched to a 4-3-3. We don't, not criticism at Roy for not amending his formation, but he's shown you know, at City and against Chelsea, we played a 4-5-1 and we have moved to a 4-3-3. I think I use couple of goals helped Roy make that decision that he felt that oh, you could sort of spearhead an attack. Um, but the 4-3-3 itself is extremely rigid. You have this, you know, when you, you go back to sort of the past when we played this system, you used to see um, players swapping positions, you used to see overloads on certain flanks and all that sort of stuff. Well, we're, you know, when you actually look at the player average positions for the game, we are literally stuck in the four-three-three position that we started with. The only slight thing that happens is the fullbacks are perhaps more advanced than you might expect. But well, I suppose with PVA and, and Wan-Bissaka, they are both quite attacking and, and have that engine to get up and down. But um, but I, I first, my first observation with the four-three-three is it is too rigid. Yeah, I think definitely rigid is the word that I would use. Um... Again, talking during the match yesterday, we set up almost like a game of table football um, where you just 
nobody seems to ever be out of position. Everyone's always where you'd sort of expect them to be or where Roy would expect them to be. And there's just not that flexibility. Um, I mean, occasionally, like you say, we get it wide to Juan Bazaka or, or to Townsend. But even then, even like when it goes to Townsend, um, you know what he's going to do. You know he's going to cut back inside and try and cross it. And you think, if we know that, then I'm pretty sure the opposition knows that. I'm sure that they've been scouted and, and they can work out, you know, suss us out by, you know, defending that. Um, and it was only the odd occasion when Juan Bazaka actually got to the byline that we looked incredibly dangerous, but obviously we didn't capitalise. Yeah, I think 4-3-3 does lend itself to fluidity and it's a, it was certainly a little bit frustrating yesterday. Um, and I think the main issue is that with 4-3-3, you're pretty much saying Max Mayer can't play, which is very frustrating um, because he obviously doesn't trust him uh, to do the defensive side of stuff that he, he perhaps uh, he would look over if it was a 4-4-2. Um, and then you could see... I think best illustrated by how rigid it was, was every single time Wilf got the ball, it was from a standing position. Um, it was a slow move, uh, ball to his feet. And then he's sort of, he's having to do this amazing trickery. And, you know, there's, there's people screaming from around me um, in the homestead, going, do something, Wilf. It's like, well, what do you expect him to do when he's got the ball from a standing position? Um, it, it It's frustrating because I initially thought that the four-three-three sort of, Four five one hybrid would be the answer, but if anything, it's it's given Hodgson more headaches and, and more rigidity pro- rigidity problems than um, the four four two did, which is really frustrating. The one thing I'd say about that is that I don't think that we, I mean, rigid, yeah, but I don't think that we are as limited in terms of our options as. You know, so, you know, some of the discussion so far seems to indicate. Um, and the reason I say that is because, I mean, wan in particular, I thought had a really, really, really good game. Um, you know, tucking around on the right. Yes, Townsend's cutting back is way too predictable and we need to have another option in respect of that. And PVA didn't have his best game, um, which was a bit disappointing. But I, I don't think it wasn't... I don't think it was that he was failing to move into other positions it's just that you know when he was passing the ball and then running on he wasn't reaching the person he needed to reach and then therefore needed to run back we were far more effective down our right hand side but we need other options and the other thing is also you know I mean one we went ahead yes it was a scrappy goal and we'll come to discuss the detail of that but we didn't look too bad in my opinion. I thought, you know, yeah, there were, there was there were early incidents which we'll discuss in terms of, you know, Watford having chances too. But when yeah, by the time that we was 55 60 minutes in, I thought we'd had a reasonable we'd given a reasonable account of ourselves. We were looking in a strong position and it was a failure to make changes to adapt to the fact that uh, Watford looked like they were coming more into the game. You know, others could see it. I don't understand why Roy couldn't. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Sorry, I think Mike noticed I uh, was going to let him speak first, but I think you, you've gone into a, a, f- a few general points there. I don't know, Mike, if you're, you were going to specifically answer Chris there. Yeah, I was just going to say about Wan-Bissaka. Um, I got Pelters for giving him a 7 out of 10 um, on the uh, in the player ratings on the website um, from a few people. Um, how I justify it is I, I possibly slightly at fault for the second goal, um, but more than that, um, he suffers from a lack of confidence behind behind Townsend. And the only time he crossed the ball in, it was on the floor. Um, and if we are going to play this 4-3-3 system, then you really have to have the overlaps um, and, and Wan-Bissaka ready to, to knock balls in, um, you know, in the air. Um, and he just does not seem to have the confidence to do that. So at the back yesterday, he was excellent. But... Um, he, he's still going forward. I feel like he's got more ability than he's showing. Um, and that was a little bit frustrating yesterday. I know, I know what you mean. There's a degree of hesitancy um, for him to get a ball in. He, he quite often will face up a player and then look, you know, that can easily get his head up to try and find Townsend to put the ball in um, rather than try and put it in himself. And, you know, we've seen he's capable of putting in a, in a decent cross. But look, I just think that that will come with games, to be honest with you. I, I thought he was very good yesterday. Um, I wouldn't necessarily give you pelters for giving him seven. I think he was our best player, but I think if anything, the overall team display, I don't particularly agree with Chris in terms of, of the level of performance that we reached as a team. I thought it was, that was average and, you know, an, an average is six or seven out of 10 really at, at best, isn't it? So I don't necessarily have a problem with rating players at, at, at 10 in that way. What, what I'll go on to say, and this will address some of the points you were making, but both of you really, um, in, so if you look at our seasonal analysis and again in that game, and we, we'll all know the reasons for this. I'm not going to be saying something that's groundbreaking for any of you. But we heavily favour the left side to attack down. Far more than the centre and far more than the right. Now, when you look at the fact that we've got wan and we've got Townsend on the right-hand side and they're both very strong players, um, it is perhaps one of the conundrums of having Wilf hang out on the left so much and, we, and us try to play through him. Now, all of us on this show, I've talked about how important it is to get Wilf the ball. So it's totally understandable. But at the same time, you know, you, you have this, I, I've got two real issues to highlight for you. And I'd love to get all your, your comments on them. The, the first is, why why do Wilf and Andros never swap flanks anymore? Because that, you know, that's, it's a, a tried and tested tactic. Both can play either side. If you swap during a game, it just gives your position something else to think about. You know, and that's where we talk about this rigidity and you talk about how how easy it is to to know what we're going to do. Everybody knows Wilf is either going to be up front favouring the left or on the left of a front three when they play us. They know that. So it's easy for them to stack their tactics accordingly. And You know, Watford did it very well, but everyone's doing it against us because it's the same every single game. Um, and, and again, that goes back to the manager and the way he wants to play. Now, we do get benefits from consistency and you do get benefits from having a rigid system where everyone knows where they're going to be uh, particularly defensively but from an attacking point of view we're just doing the same things all the time and that's where you start getting into this high chance creation now who who are we you know who are we creating chances for and what type of chances are they so I'm, I'm going to start you off guys with we had 24 crosses in that game 24 
And how effective were those crosses? The majority seem have to be drilled along the floor and hope for the best because you haven't got anyone in there to aim at. So how effective are, is, is our crossing and, and who are we actually aiming at? I mean, just quickly on that point about um, not swapping sides and, and one Bazaka in particular, I just think it's the manager's instructions. So I think the problem with one Bazaka is he was in so much space a lot of the time, but when he gets the ball, he always seems to be looking for Townsend, and it's very rare that he does go on the overlap, like Mike said, um, and then puts in the cross. I mean, that cross he put on just before half-time was absolutely brilliant. And uh, we were saying, if that had been Man City, they would have had a player there like Sterling in to finish it off, and uh, it would have been a second goal. Um, but on the on the point of the crosses, um, I mean, I thought Wilf had a fantastic game, but he had that first chance when he went one-on-one with the keeper. And then after that, he seemed to be so kind of gutted with himself for missing that chance. He then seemed to try too hard. And for me, he was shooting every time. So although it looked like there was a couple of times when he um, put the ball in the box and it was very hard, for me, he was shooting every time. Um, and there's that one chance MacArthur had uh, where he just missed it. And I think, again, it's just because he mishit it that it, it looked like a cross. But, you know, like you say, there's no one in the box really to capitalise. So I think like Wilf is just going alone. Um and, and Townsend tried a couple of times to get it in the box. But yeah, there's, there's just no presence in there at the moment. I think that's a really good point from both of you. Um, I can't imagine that Roy has said to them, don't cross over. I think it's more likely that at the moment, Wilf seems low on confidence, which seems like a weird, weird thing to say because, you know, he's very rarely low on confidence. He can get angry, but he's not often low on confidence. But he is. Uh, whereas Townsend's quite the opposite. Like right now, if you went into the Homesdale and said to a random male, would you mind if Townsend uh, fathered uh, your your other half's next child? They'd probably say yes. You know, he's, <laughs> he's pretty, you know, he's pretty, he's player of the month. He's doing amazingly well. So I wonder if either Hodgson or themselves have, have said, well, all right, well, Townsend's on a roll on the right, keeping where he is. Wilf, you're most comfortable on the left, so let's try and get your confidence back. Um, but that can that can backfire, like you say, and, and I think swapping over now and again would be amazing. When it comes to the crosses, I think for, for there to have been 24 crosses, well, they, they must be counting some, some strange passing as crosses because everything, like you said, was on the ground, bar I can remember one or two in the air. The rest of them were set places because Luca was excellent with his corners. Uncharacteristically decent, um, but it just frustrates me that there was nothing in the air. It doesn't really matter that there's no height there. It's it's just the fact that playing the balls on the floor is the natural progression from this sort of Arsenal style, lots of passing around the box without much penetration type stuff. And I feel like Luca's massive punt where he, he got the keeper to sort of pull out a decent save was him going. I've had enough of this. Like. We need to be a bit more direct, and we really do. And and a- AWB is, is the absolute epitome of it. Just give it a whack sometimes. Either give it a cross or give it a shot. Um, Zaha was trying to do that. You know, obviously, he was a little bit unlucky. The one-on-one, if that had gone in, you know, it, totally different story for the game. But um, it does seem like the, the crosses problem is, is just a natural progression from the fact that we're just trying to pass too much. We're trying to pass our crosses as well as pass everything else. And it, it is frustrating. I think a huge part of that is a product of who we've got in the middle because, you know, if you're if you're playing high balls in as crosses to IU, 
then you're not using him to his best ability. Once we have Benteke on, then it makes perfect sense to send high balls in because he can do that. He can also hit balls on, on the ground as well, as we know. But it makes a lot more sense to do a high ball that he can head, as we saw towards the end of the game. Um, but in the case of what, what happened yesterday, it was not a... You know, I mean, we got a lot of balls into the centre, but they were mostly along the ground, as as you've completely rightly said, Mike. Um, and I, I don't think we should be too down on ourselves about that because, actually, you know, I mean, MacArthur was inches away from scoring a goal that would have put us ahead. Um, yeah, we we were we were not bad, in my opinion. Yeah, and and I think we were we were stronger, huffing and puffing at the end as well. But you know, it it showed what a difference it makes to have Benteke on the pitch. It's, ultimately the point well look, this is this is where i'm gonna gonna potentially hammer you a bit here chris because f- first of all of, of course it's a it's because of the people we've got in the box you know I'm, I'm certainly not making a different point um but my point is not that we're crossing in the wrong way my point is that crossing in that fashion it's not just the type of player of the box it's how many are in the box it's usually one target and quite often yeah. that target is macarthur because you know, I use dropping deep, and you, and you talk about when Benteke came on. Oh, Benteke won a lot of headers, but we start we just because we were playing long balls up to him. No one, no one crossed it in for him to head in. And again, you talk about are you? Well, look how he scored against yeah. Grimsby. One decent ball, he gets up above everybody and heads it in. So the it's, you know, what I mean, what I'm getting at, and, and it's not just talking about this game. I'm talking about the season as a whole and how we play. And Mike was getting into it perfectly. It's we are. We are trying to play a style of football, which I, I really got delighted we're trying to play. But it's been clear for a long period of time that we are not creating the right chances for the right people at the right time. And yes, it's extremely obvious. And I'll get into this now because it's one of our three major traits statistically. But we are missing chances we shouldn't be missing. But I just think that's a lot to do with, with how we create chances the fact that you know you are you're relying on luck. You're not. It's not a system that we're we've not devised a way of scoring. You just you've got people who are chancing their arm at the back post, people who are chancing their arm in the six yard box. But it's one person trying to predict where the ball will go. If you've got two or three in there, or at least a couple, you know, a couple of actual strikers in there, they'll take up logical positions, and you can kind of you should be tailoring your play around that. And it just feels like we're relying on hitting areas and hoping for the best. That's how I feel about it. So what our three major statistical failures this season are a high offside count, poor finishing, and giving away free kicks in dangerous areas. Uh, and that was specifically in this game as well as the repetitive throughout the season. We've talked about the poor finishing to a degree regularly all the time. And, you know, that's something you can't say is Roy's fault. It's not Roy's fault that players aren't finishing good chances, but I think it gets overplayed how many good that's inverted commas again. I'm doing it every week, doing inverted commas on an audio medium. But how many good chances, how many proper chances that we actually create? It's not as many general chances. You know, we, we created, I think we had 16 shots. The majority of those were off target. And the majority of those were, you know, you had six, I think you had six shots from Wilf, which majority of which carried an awful lot of frustration with him. I think Mike's right about Lucas chance. So all of those things are, are key things that we've had problems with for some time and we're just not dealing with. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what can illustrate that. I got back, I, I saw my old man after the game and, um, you know, he's not a Palace fan. And he said, oh, I was watching Gillette Soccer Saturday and they said, 
you know, you're all over them. I, I can't believe, you know, I saw the chance Wilf had. I can't believe you, you lot didn't win by three or four. And I said, well, they were not giving you the right information because, uh, you know, for a start, I think Watford had more one more shot than we did. Um, that, that chance to MacArthur, as you say, if we had a proper person that really knew when to make their runs, um, you know, maybe it'd have gone in. But really, I think Zahar was just passing it and hoping someone was there. Um, and it, it shouldn't be down to MacArthur to be the one to put it in because that's not his natural ability and hence he missed. Um, and the other chances, you know, there was the great one-on-one with Zahar, but the rest of them, you, you never really stood there in the terraces going, this is going to go in. Um more often than not, I was thinking the other up the other end it was going to go in. And obviously, you, you have that panic and you always worry. But it, it didn't seem to me like we were going to score. And people started streaming out because they knew we weren't going to get one back. So it, it doesn't matter how many chances we've had on paper. They're not chances in in the proper sense that you'd, you'd, you'd say that a, a chance is. They're just a sort of hopeful delivery. And and that that's exactly what you're saying. It's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And look. I do think it's it's worth pointing out at this, at this stage, you know, because we, we've we've gone into a lot of detail on on some of the major issues that we feel that we have. But you know, we say it every week as well that there are fine lines, and and you know, the reference to the Zaha chance to go two 0 up is extremely important. But for me, I, I, this is my most important stat from the game, and it, and it's I, it's not an agenda thing. It's just I, I think it's the most important one. Ben Foster made six saves combined. Guaita and Hennessy made zero saves. Uh, Guaita didn't face a single shot on target, so you can kind of forgive that. He wasn't on the pitch very long. Um, but Wayne Hennessy faced two shots on target and let both in. Um, for me, that is extremely important. It, it when, when we analyse the goals, again, it is the first goal that's the important one. The second, there are issues, but ultimately where the ball's gone in the net, I'm not sure we can do much about that. Um, Roy certainly didn't think so. But, you know, this is what we've been talking about. You need, you know, just like you need a striker to put the ball in the net, you need a keeper to make a save. to, to So you get what you deserve. Too often we haven't got what we deserve. And, and you know, I think we've, there's there's definitely a pattern there. And, and it, you know, it really, reading that sort of brought it home for me. I mean, that, that I just couldn't believe a keeper of that height was beaten with that cross for the first goal. It just seems to be in total no man's land. And as you said earlier, Chris, about how Guaita has been coming out comfortably and taking crosses, that was just the complete opposite. Um, and then that just set the tone, really, for the rest of the half. I mean, the, any confidence that we did have in the back line would have been zapped at that point. Um, and for the second goal, yeah, it was a weldy, absolutely fantastic finish from Cleverly. But, you know, the fact he didn't even move. And I, I'm i not saying I want a goalkeeper to dive just sort of like with no hope of getting it, but at least react. He just didn't seem to react at all. Um, and I just find that's unforgivable, really. Uh, you know, for me, Ben Foster is an excellent goalkeeper, uh, as annoying it is, it is to say. And I think he's a huge factor in, in Watford's success because they, you know, they do concede a lot of chances, um, generally speaking. They're not perhaps as defensively solid as, as it seems. You know, he's, he's an excellent sort of last line of defence and it really hit home yesterday. He just he had such a good game as, as he often does against us. But look, those are those are the key sort of stats that I've, that I've picked out and it's taken us into some some interesting areas. Let's have a look at some of the, the key moments. Uh, we won't dwell a huge amount on these, but um, 
obviously we had that early scare. Delafeo hits the post, um, and then Pereira uh, misses an open goal as well. So we had a little bit of an early scare, and then a sort of co- a combination as, as, as we built a bit of momentum. There was a series of events that led to the opening goal. Uh, so Juan Pesaka you know, getting forward, dumps Solibas on his backside, puts a cross in towards Ayu. Um, I think it's Mariapuru who gets across Ayu just to knock it for a corner. Thought he had a very good game. Um, so from that corner, Tompkins gets a, a, a free header. It goes over, but Foster just gets fingertips to it. So that gives us another corner. And then that leads to great delivery from Luca. Swings in. And the only way I could sum it up, and I've watched it an awful lot, is I, I felt pretty much everybody in the penalty area forgets how to kick a football, apart from Decore, and he manages to kick it straight into Cathcart and it goes in. Uh, there's a bit of scrambling afterwards, but it, it had already gone in before the scramble. Um, the bit I wanted to talk about, and I started to mention it earlier, so that's that's our sixth home goal this season. Two have been penalties. Two have been long-range sort of worldy type goals. One was a cross that went in and now an own goal. So just... Drink that in, in terms of how we're scoring at home. That, that to me, that's the problem. That's the thing that needs dealing with. And, and whether or not you're in the camp that thinks the way to deal with that is to buy a striker. Now, Roy said that himself. He says he wants someone to get someone who can finish those chances. But then he said the phrase that worried the hell out of me, which was someone to score something out of nothing. Sorry, Roy, that's not what we want. We want someone to score goals, not, not necessarily create something out of nothing. We've got a couple of players who can do that, but... Um, but but for me that just highlights where our issues are. And if we if we count out those six goals, it was what two against Arsenal for a point, two against Burnley, one against Leicester, and then one against Watford. Um, I mean, that's so we're talking about four games worth. So that's seven games without a goal, um, and that's probably the, the worst part of that stat. So what's I mean? What you know? Again, we started talking about it earlier, but what's what's the main factor there? For the main factor for me, has to be our approach at home. So I think you know it seems to be a an accepted reason that other than the big teams who we've played well against, when a team goes away from home, they set up to effectively pack areas, try and make the home team break them down and hit them on the on the break, right? And and your job is to break them down, and I think can be really easily summed up and we haven't we haven't been good enough to break teams down at home for a long long time and again that goes back you could argue personnel all you like and plenty of people have but you have to as a manager you have to work with what you've got to devise a system to overcome that problem and where we are all getting frustrated as, as supporters as much as we desperately want to be supportive and positive about palace we are getting frustrated because we are still just doing the same things. And as much, I, I am encouraged that we've tried some different formations and some different approaches. Um, and I do acknowledge that there are fine lines between success and failure in terms of results, but it's just, I'm just not seeing enough creativity from off the pitch as well as on it. I mean, I think, again, it can only come from the tactics from the manager. I mean, we start the game so slowly, you know, doing this whole knocking it sideways, I mean, the amount of times I saw Sacco with the ball in exactly the same position, and that would be like, even if we've moved the ball forward, it would still end up back to him in that kind of mid to left side of the, you know, midway through his own half on the left-hand side by Van Arnholt. And it's just like painful to watch. But I don't know if you noticed, but as soon as we, we did actually score, suddenly we were attacking like, you know, like no man's business. It's almost as if it's a confidence thing and that once we've got that goal cushion, we're happy to do it. Uh, and again, in the second half, once we, you know, we really have to like kind of 
do something because we're losing the game, we actually kick into life again. But it just seems to be that we're so cautious at the start and it can only come from the managers saying, like, don't give anything away, play it safe, play the safe ball, don't do anything you know, silly. Um, and, and like you say, we should be kind of going for it at home at least. Um, you know, against teams like Watford, no disrespect to Watford, they've been a, a good team this year in terms of the points that they've got. And, you know, they're always a hard team. They've been a hard team to beat this year. But really, we should be better than them. Yeah, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. And, and yeah, I was actually going to bring you in anyway, Chris. You've just popped your hand up. But, you know, again, just to sort of address what you're saying, I think it's important to acknowledge the opposition. But I think, and you have to do that every week to, to think about how well your opponents played and how well they've negated you and all that sort of stuff. But again, I just go back to it. It just seems that little bit too easy to, to do that against us. But Chris, you're riding the positive train a little bit this week, or at least trying to slap slapped. down a little um, bit. So um, what do you I, think? I, I still... I'm not that negative <laughs> about this. I mean, I, I thought, I really thought, I mean, you know, when when I went downstairs to get my beer at halftime, I was really optimistic. Obviously, we were ahead, um, which always helps. But um, I, I didn't feel that I'd watched a game of football that we'd not done what we needed to do in, in order to win. Um, and I don't think that when I went back upstairs after um, having had that beer, that I watched a team initially play as though they were going to lose the game. It, it seemed that we failed to anticipate that Watford were going to change their approach. And that that it's systemic. This is the point that you were rightly getting at earlier on where, where you did um, legitimately criticise my optimism, which is that we ought to be foreseeing these things. And especially when it comes to the limitations of our goal threat and the way that other teams can score goals. You know, look at look at back to things like the Brighton game. They they scored goals from corners, for example. Um, we don't have a way of scoring goals other than Wolf being good, penalties, which we do, you know, seem to get a fair number of, and worldies. So we we need to come up with something else. Um, I, I do think that the return of the striker, though, is going to help. And, you know, Benteke looked good for me. I'm really not that worried, although I'd, lo- I'd love us to have someone like um, Lorente, for example. I was, I've just been in the pub watching the Spurs game. And I think he would he would put away the chances that we were that we create through some of our crosses and so on. We need to do more around that. We need to adjust our approach according to who's in the middle. Um, I think that's why we're playing it in the uh, on the ground at the moment because we've got un- on rushing midfielders, not enough, but we have got those. Um, and also, I mean, we really need other players to chip in with goals, don't we? Um, we've got people like Meyer who look he he's willing to have a crack, but he's got to be given a, a run of games to have that chance. Um, I, th- I think there's opportunities there, but. You know, it, it's fine margins, and that's why we lost yesterday. I mean, the the other thing is listening to the Roy interview. Um, yeah, because we have to talk about this. Um, it was deja vu again, exactly the same interview. And I mean, I, he, he did two interviews after the game, and they are almost word for word identical. If you haven't listened to both of them, look at them. They're both on um, Palace TV um, to listen to for free. But they're the the word for word identical, and they don't offer any solutions or insight. No, we'll, we'll come back to the to the Roy interview stuff because I've got a bit to say on that. Um, but I know Mike, you sort of had a, a, an early hand up there to jump in on some stuff that Chris was saying. Yeah, so I've been really put off. I've, I've got the New England Patriots game on in the background, <laughs> and um, 
their coach just has the biggest coat I've ever seen. Like, do you remember the Talking Heads guy with the massive coat? Like, that's nothing compared with this guy's coat. I need to look this it's up. about three times as wide as he is. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's worth looking up. Um, now, all, all I want to say, like, I know, I know, it sounds like we're being really negative, and Chris is is here to to cheer up everyone up. Um, it's just. You know, if we talked about only the positives, it'd be a very, a very boring, tedious pod. Um, there, there are some obvious positives. You know, we've seen throughout the season. It's, it's the fact that you're frustrated that you can just see that they're so close, and at moments, in certain games, it happens. The Wolves game, the last twenty minutes, totally happens. I think the reason that you know Hambo or myself or, or team sounds so frustrated is that. It's fairly obvious that at points this stuff does work, but it just at no point in the Watford game did that work. Did it? Did it come across the same sort of level of uh, urgency that was there for the uh, for the Wolves game? I totally go along with that. Um, look, we got, we'll have a quick chat about the Watford goals. Uh, we sort of covered them in a, in a little bit um, uh, earlier on, and perhaps a, a, just a chat about the the, the Maca miss and some player performances, and then we'll, we'll get onto the Roy stuff, and I'll. Uh, we'll finish with some of your con- uh, contact that you got uh, got in touch with ahead of the show. Um, I have ruined that in my document, so I'm going to have to read it up directly off of Twitter. So that's going to be probably quite uncomfortable as I start scrolling through stuff as I'm talking. But um, some interesting questions there. Some of them have, uh, are on similar ground that we've already covered, uh, but we'll give them all a mention. And obviously appreciate people getting in touch. And please do so every week because it makes a big difference to us but let's talk the equaliser because we want to get into a bit more detail about exactly what happened well I don't I say I want to I'm not sure I want to but so look I've seen a lot of people because look obviously we, we've seen it throughout the course of Hennessy's time and goal where people want to defend him and some of that has been down to improvement in performance and I think I honestly think a lot of it is down to people being very sympathetic to um to the fact that he gets a lot of grief. But personally, I think he you know, he gets grief because of... Um, I don't think he's... You know, he's, he's he's trying. He's doing the best of... I just don't think the ability is there, personally. And that's why I have a bit of a problem when people defend him just for the sake of it. Um, but I think this, this, this game perfectly highlights the issue that we have. So it's not that... It's not that he doesn't make... Doesn't make it to the ball to get it, right? It's the fact that he goes for it, but he was never going to get there. And he doesn't, you know, he, he finishes this. So the corner comes in, he misjudges it, and he ends up hugging the post. And you just think to yourself, and I can't help but think, and we'll never know for sure because it's hypothetical, but you think either, you know, if quite isn't goal there, in my opinion, he either gets there by moving quicker and going to where the ball's going to land, or he, he stands there, gets himself set for a header. Um, now, let's, a lot of people focusing on Tompkins there. So let's not shy away from it. Tompkins gets beaten by by a run. So what, what Cathcart does really well is he, just as the, the everyone's getting set for the ball to come in, he sort of runs off in a loop. So Tompkins is obviously trying to watch the ball come in and then all of a sudden his man's just gone. So by the time Tompkins follows the loop, but because it's a looped run, he's always behind him. So it's a, it's a clever run. It's, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's not something that Tompkins shouldn't necessarily anticipate and won't have seen before but it's a it's a good run to get a bit of space but for me it's not a proper chance if the goalkeeper stays where he should be but as the ball goes past him he's, he's looking at his post I mean I don't know how I can possibly start to defend that or, f- or find a way of of highlighting anything other than 
that is a horrible misjudgment for a goalkeeper, and it's cost us hugely. And nobody, none, none of you have got anything to say on that, so I can only assume I've summed it up perfectly. Um, yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, let's not dwell on it. We all saw it. Um, Guaita's has got a calf injury. If it's a if it's a light calf injury, maybe two, three weeks. If it's anything more severe than that, it could be a couple of months. So part of me hopes we'll uh, we look for another keeper in this transfer window. But there we go. Perhaps I'm being overly harsh, but who knows? Um, so for the second goal for the winner, I've looked at it again. A lot of people again having a go at Tompkins. I've, I've tried to look at it in a variety of ways. It, initially, the header out from Tompkins is perhaps a little bit weak and go straight to a Watford player. But other than that, I don't. You know, I just think it's this. This actually is pretty scrappy before it. You know, you think our goal, our goal was scrappy. Well, this the start of this really is the same. It's people just first time lifting the ball into a danger area. It just so happens it falls to cleverly. If you actually watch it again, slow motion makes it look uh, perhaps better than it was because you've got cleverly and uh, Wampasaka both swinging a foot at it at the same time, and it's a fraction of a second that cleverly gets to it before Wampasaka. So again, I'm not really thinking there's any criticism there. And I've put in put in my notes, and I'll be interested to see if you guys agree. I've put there's no saving that, but especially if you're stood completely still watching it, not moving your feet in anticipation to give yourself a chance of moving. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's, you watch it in real time, and you know there's nothing he can do anyway. I, I wouldn't have thought, um, but he doesn't do himself any favors. You know, all people want to see is an effort. So. If he's diving over there and he misses it by a palm's length, fair enough. But, you know, if you're already in the firing line for the first goal, um, this one doesn't doesn't look good, does it? I am watching it in real time. Bear me one second. One, two, one and not nearly, nearly two seconds from Cleverley's foot and into the back of the net. And Wayne, I'm telling you right now, Wayne just bends his knees downwards. When when cleverly strikes it, yeah, bends I his mean, knees it, down and, and watches it. it. It doesn't look good, does it? But you know the damage was done with the first one. I, I'm uh, people were saying yesterday, or at least one person I read said yesterday, we lost two one, regardless of which keeper was there. I think it would have been one all if Guaita was stayed on the pitch. I'm not sure he would have stayed that, but he certainly no, would have no, got no, there for the first one. I, I agree with that. I don't, again, it, I, I'm certainly as much as I'm giving him a bit of stick is because I just think he's inviting stick by failing to react and again you go back you look at how Guaita sets himself again I know people have criticised uh, others on this show for talking about the body language that Guaita has and how much better it seems than, than Hennessy some people don't think that that's a relevant point to make I do I think I think the way he sets himself um, how he watches the game he often he often he's getting he's almost crouched down as he's watching the ball just waiting for that either to spring up or to dive low or anything like that. Wayne just looks like he's waiting for something to happen before reacting. It's very reactive rather than proactive, I guess. That's how it feels. Someone who, who coaches goalkeepers might tell me I'm talking rubbish. Who knows? There's a possible element of um, confirmation bias here. Um, but the thing is that if you you watch both of those goals back... Um, it's. I, th- I find it very hard to believe that the first one Guaita wouldn't have done better. Maybe he would. Maybe he wouldn't have saved it. Um, maybe Tompkins would have been more confident um, if he'd had Guaita in front of him. But he didn't. We didn't. They didn't. It, it's happened now. The second goal. Um, 
whether anyone makes an effort. I mean, I've, ju- I've just watched the Spurs game um, in the pub to time, exactly when we were recording this, um, in the joiners um, down in Woodside. And De Gea for United was man of the match. You know, I mean, absolutely beyond doubt. But he wouldn't have saved that goal. It was that genuinely was a worldie. There's n- even if he if Hennessy had tried... Um, and as others have said, you know, he was quick to move his arms the previous weekend. Um, he he wasn't safe in that. No one's safe in that. But the first one he's culpable for. And, you know, but then we move on to the next. Hot off the press, Mr. Cabri's Parrot on Twitter. Have you noticed that Hennessy backs away under balls until it goes over him, but Goethe runs sideways until he's under the ball and catches it? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely a difference in technique there. I'm sorry, I am distracted because I've seen a picture of the guy with a coat now. That is ridiculous. <laughs> that is. That's very I mean, special, what? isn't it? That's... That wouldn't fit me. That's too it big looks for both like, of us, isn't it? There's two other people in the coat as in either side of him who are just ducked down with their heads inside it. That's how wide it is. What I, is people, going on there? We'll, we'll speak the pizza out so people get an idea of this a bit later. <laughs> I'll stick yeah. it on Instagram. Mikey's going to chuck it on the eight. So Mark is going to check it on the Acast feed as well. So if you listen via the Acast app, the pictures come up as we talk about stuff. So it's quite a good little app for things like that. So you'll you'll see it on there. So um, breathtaking it is. What what a coat and a welcome distraction from talking about uh, conceding goals. Look, look, we'll end, we'll end the the general chat about the the incidents there. Yes, there was a there was a couple of chances. Um, you know, Wilf drilling the ball across the back post uh, once. Not no one was there. And it, it went wide once how MacArthur missed it, I just don't know. Just managed to slide over the ball. And you can obviously point to moments like that and just say that, you know, that should that should have gone in and we should have been. That was actually between the two Watford goals. And obviously it's a different game if that happens, you would think. But um I think ultimately when you, you analyse the game, you look at the overall performance. And I think even Roy himself acknowledged that probably we 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 didn't deserve any better. Uh, we've talked about the individual I was going to say let's talk about Zaha, but we did um, there's a lot of stick he's getting. I think we'll we'll, we'll leave it for another show. Uh, but the stuff I mentioned earlier about how others have, have picked out some stuff around how he's played, where he's effective, all that kind of stuff. For me, it's it just goes back to what we were saying earlier about let's just be a bit creative about it. Don't just stick him in the same place and do the same things. I think, Mike, you're absolutely spot on when you say he's having to receive the ball to feet, usually with his back to goal, wherever he is. Uh, at a standing pace and that's not it's not what you want to see you want to see Zaha running at pace onto the ball because that's when he commits people I think we're not doing a good enough job of that um, I think the let's have a very quick chat about Patrick Van Arnholt. Uh you know not not done any bits for a while PVA um, he's, he's certainly not he's not terrible he's not having a, he's not having a, an awful run of games but Given a lot of lot of possession away, very very loose with the passing, um, and it's just not as effective as he as he has been of late when he was in top form, Mike. Well, I think um, there's always seems to be someone at the moment, or certainly this season, that's been off with their passing, and it seems like it's PVA's turn. There was one pass um, that killed a break where he, he he hit it off straight out for a throw in. Um, during the game, like probably about midway through the first half, there was a lot of groans. Um, but what I would say is he's defending 
hasn't hasn't suffered. Um, he might be short on confidence going forward, but his his defending hasn't suffered at all. So it's almost as if he's took um, a step away from what he was seen to be good at for the first sort of eighteen months that he's been at Palace, um, and he's just got down to being a proper uh, defender in the old-fashioned sense. Um, I'm sure it'll come back. Uh, you know, a few missed passes here and there. It's just confidence. I, I I think he got quite a lot of stick yesterday and I thought he was all right. He certainly defended just as well as the other three. Um, and I, I I really think that it's just something that will go on for a few games like it was with Luca. He'll be back to his best soon. Yeah, I totally agree on the misplaced passes. But one thing that was reassuring for him, he was still, he was still looking for the ball and he was still overlapping uh, Wilf and, and he has a couple of times when he tried to get to the byline and he might have got a couple of corners for his efforts. So that's the positive. He doesn't seem to, as much as he was misplacing passes, he still wants to be involved, which is a good thing because sometimes players go a bit quiet when uh, you know things aren't quite going their way. No, I think I think that is a fair point. Um, you know, again, I'm certainly not criticising for going a little bit quiet or anything like that. I think it's a it's a good observation uh, from Mike that his defending hasn't suffered. Um, and you know, again, form form is like that. Players have have up and down form. Uh, I just thought it was interesting just to see him. I, you know, my, I guess why why I bring it up is my fear is that he's perhaps been restricted a little bit by this. By again, we go back to the rigidity of the formation. Whether he's been sort of told not to quite gamble as much as he was, because you know, back end of last season and even the start of this, he was popping up central in the penalty area, right side at times. He was really gambling a lot and that has just stopped. And whether that's confidence or whether that's his manager saying, stop that, um, I think that's probably what my worry is. Just to add one controversial um, thought on that is that Jeffrey Sharp wasn't around and he can provide cover on the left when he's playing that midfield role. And he obviously wasn't there. It can if he chooses to run back with the the True. The, uh, the attackers. Sometimes he didn't choose perfect. to do that. There is a song about that. Yeah, yeah there is. Yeah, <laughs> which I've heard you sing. Um, right, okay. <laughs> so let's um, let reference to, to Roy's comments um, again. We, we, we sort of talked about it. Tom Cleverley. He says Tom Cleverley scores a wonder goal. They happen in football matches, and there's not much you can do about them. Watford are a good team and they're held out and got the victory. Every game has these stories at the end, but it's the goals you have scored and those you have conceded. We probably needed to create more chances to get the second goal. Watford were good on the counter-attack. They'll probably point to the early chance at the post. We have to accept we could have won, but it's also a game you can lose, and we did. All right. <laughs> Not too sure what to make of that. Um, look, what, I, what I wanted to talk about with Roy is... Oh, I don't, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say too much because again, people, people sort of say stuff with confidence and all that. I think Roy, the perception of Roy doesn't really match the reality of him at times. I think he's very, very sure of himself and his methods. And although I'm the first one to say you shouldn't read too much into pre-match and post-match comment because what can what can a manager really say? He can't come out and completely coat his team. He can't come out and say, oh, I I, I got this one wrong today every week. Uh, he can't point out the deficiencies and all that kind of stuff. He has to kind of be balanced uh, and, and draw the focus away from the things he doesn't want to focus on. But he certainly gets very, very agitated if he gets questioned regards subs or tactics or anything like that. Um, can get a bit, bit fiery, really. So 
I, I, what worries me about that kind of trait is, is that, you know, further evidence of a reluctance to change, a reluctance to listen to other ideas, you know, and if it is, are we going to sort of snap out of where we are now and, and the struggles that we have and what we all tend to consider to be an underperforming team slash squad? I don't know. I guess it depends on your point of view. I mean, it's funny you say he's sure of his methods and, and doesn't like being questioned, but when it comes to making changes, we know he's stubborn doesn't like, and don't like making changes, but he often looks to me as if he doesn't know what to do next. So if we go a goal behind, it, it seems to take him a long time to register we've gone a goal behind. And then when, you know, then he com- confers with uh, with Ray. And, you know, it just seems to waste so much time um, to actually make that change. You think someone very sure of himself would, would think, right, let's get someone on and, and, you know, change the game for the positive. But maybe that is just a stubbornness again, like coming through. I don't know. But he doesn't strike me as someone that, you know, is there in the moment. I reckon if we go to the questions from the listeners um, about Roy, then we can probably answer stuff a little bit more directly. I completely agree. So let, let's go on it. But I am going to have to read them in order because of my deficiencies earlier on, I'm afraid. <laughs> so, um I'll have to, again, I'll do what I usually do. When the Roy stuff crops up, Mike, I'll, I'll ask it to you first of all, um, and we'll take us on there. But so first one up is from, from Kevin. Uh, he says, no other side is creating chances and not scoring. Is it time to look at alternative attacking style? And what ideas can we suggest? Now, obviously, we've talked about that a little bit. Um, so if anyone's got any other ideas by the time I finish talking, drop, drop them in. But I'll start myself and just say my 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 ideas go back to being a bit more flexible around the attacking positions trying to work out depending on who we select and there are options there despite what some people say depending on who you select we've got to be a bit more specific in our in how we how we're going about creating our chances how's you know if jordan are you playing up top how's jordan are you going to score goals if he's the one we're asking to score goals if he isn't who are we asking to score goals who what areas do we want these people in because currently what we seem to be doing is getting into crossing positions and crossing to very little targets um, or relying on a little bit of luck so that those are those are my points i think we should just be a bit more I'm sure we're trying, but just be a bit more creative and a bit more specific about what we're trying to do in the attacking side of the pitch. I love when you said with a little bit of luck there. Made me think of Garage, proper Croydon oh, Garage. What tune? MC Neat, was it? Uh, MC Luck DJ and Luck, DJ Luck and yeah. MC Neat or whatever, yeah. Banger. Um, my answer to that would be we've got three, if you take the 4-3-3 formation, we've got three very fast players. So, you know, we, we seem to be getting more joy on the roads and that's because we're playing more in the break. So why not give people more possession at home? You know, that we had 56% possession yesterday. Did It did not show. I, I was really shocked when I saw that stat. Um, there's, there's no harm in going back to, you know, having 40% possession, but playing on the break. And I think that would do us a lot more good. I think in terms of yesterday, Max Mayer should have... Max Mayer was on the bench, wasn't he, yesterday? Yeah, he was, yeah. I just don't understand why he didn't come on at all. Um, I mean, interestingly enough, I thought, um, I can't pronounce his name very well, but De La Feo, is it, of uh, of Watford? I mean, the amount of freedom he had, you know, it would have been great to see Max Mayer in a similar position for us where you run him with the ball and, you know, I mean, we couldn't couldn't catch him yesterday, could we? The amount of tackles that they kept missing him. Um, I thought he was superb, actually. Um, yeah, other but... than hitting the post, but... 
Yeah, I was going to talk about him a little bit. He had eight dribbles, which was double the amount of his nearest rival, which was Wilfred Zaha. Um, and he played. He essentially played centrally. Played in a, in a free roll off the off of Dini, pretty much. Um, but was allowed to sort of roam the pitch, which was exactly what we did with Zaha last year when he started scoring all those goals. So interesting, interesting correlation there. Uh, but let's let's move on. Um, so uh, Chuck Mayer got in touch. Chuck Mayer. I got in touch saying, uh, talk about Wayne Hennessy saying he lost yesterday. Is it time to sell him now? We may get a best offer, uh, may get the best offer now based on him overachieving earlier in the season, perhaps side a young keeper to develop. Personally, I've, I've said it for a while. I think, you know, it would suit Wayne best to, to leave Crystal Palace and just go somewhere else. But again, I don't know if that's necessarily a decision we can make. And certainly when you've got uh, an injured first choice keeper, I'm not sure. Um, that we can actually do that. I think it's sometimes easier to talk about selling a player than actually selling a player. Now's not the time in the summer, possibly. But, you know, I mean, apart from anything else, as you say, right now with, with Guaita injured, he's our first choice keeper, isn't he? Until Guaita comes back. Yeah. Um, although, you know, maybe some would, would pick Spironi over. Yeah, depressing though that is. Well, I, I don't know if it is. I'd love to see that smiling face back in goal again. Or Dion Henry, but Dion Curtis Henry, yeah. Lucy's asked; she's given us a, a scale of one to S House. How does the panel rate Wayne Hennessy? I'm not going to answer that. You know, I'm too respectful, but we have talked about it a lot. Uh, Nathan Jones has said, "Is the return of Benteke crucial to us staying up?" Chris, you talked a bit about Benteke. Uh, do you think he? Uh, do you think he's crucial? Can you see him? either creating for others at the very least or scoring the goals we need to start. I think he'll knock a few in before the end of the season. Um, and I think he'll tap the ball back to Meyer and MacArthur in such a way. I mean, he linked up the play before he got injured, even when he was playing with an injury. So, yeah, I, I actually think we're going to be all right. I, I know that sounds really trite and really and upbeat, which is not always my natural <laughs> mindset, but... Yeah, that that is where I am today. I think we're we're going to be okay this season, but we've got to have a plan for beyond that because you know we're we're, we're riding a roller coaster that's going down at the moment, and we need to make sure that we start to turn that corner. Sorry, I, I, I love I love the way that you've got less and less positive as this as this is going. <laughs> It would be great if Benteke could take over what Zaha's doing, whereas he's holding up the ball, um, doing a couple of little turns and waiting for people to turn up. If Benteke could do that instead, I think that'll bring more out of Zaha. I must admit, he looked pretty lean yesterday. I thought he had a you know, good 15, 20 minutes, however long it was. Um, and he, we definitely looked better for him being on the pitch. But, you know, we shouldn't really be relying on him, bearing in mind, you know, if we're looking at just goals, we shouldn't be relying on him when... Uh, you know, we've not been able to rely on him for the last season and a bit. And I'm not I'm not trying to dig him out in that. I know he brings other things to the game. But again, we go back to goals. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm not convinced that just Benteke coming back is going to be the answer to all our problems and we're going to start scoring for fun again. All right, guys, look, I'm going to cut that debate short. We'll come back to it another time. Let's get on with the last couple of questions and end this thing. The big question, Mike. Keith Powell, how much longer has Hodgson got? I I really I can't I still can't be down with this. Uh, Hodgson's got to go, or you know Hodgson's not producing the goods. We know that he's got his limitations. Um, we know that it's going to be up and down, and we know that often it's on a razor's edge. But right now, 
Um, you know, we're talking about sixth season of Premiership and um, Premier League, and it looks like we're going to be fairly well safe. I think by April we're going to be safe. Uh, it depends what you want from the club. It depends if you're looking to that next stage or if you want security because he's going to provide it. You know, we've still had a ton of clean sheets. Um, whatever it is, great has kept five and a half himself. Um, you know, we, we're going to cruise to, to, to staying up. So I don't think there's any question that we can start asking that we replace him now. Um, I, you know, just because of one poor result. A couple of weeks ago, everyone was saying, oh, he, he's, he, he's fine, he's, he's doing all right. He's got his limitations, we can see that, but he'll bow out gracefully fairly soon because he's already 71. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's doing a decent job. Um, he just needs to uh, carry on what he's doing and just see those few little things that we're pointing out here, which I'm sure he is, um, and, and it'll be fine. 22 games in, 22 points, on track for 38. Now, 40's the line normally, um, but if you look lower down, um, Huddersfield are on track for, what, 20-something? Um, for the moment, are on track for less than 30 as well. Um, and then it's between Newcastle, Cardiff, Southampton. Southampton are on decent form. Um, but I don't think there's enough teams that can overtake us. So is our Premier League status at threat with Hodgson? Probably not. Uh, question is, should we be being more ambitious than that? Probably. Um, but the, the key thing for me is, you know, actually when's the point where you make that change? Assuming that we stay safe this season, does he decide to go in the summer? That might be the right time. Um, or it might be that we're putting more money into, you know, changing the squad and making a a proper change. If that's the case, then that's when the transition right. comes. Right, okay. I don't think any of you are taking a hint that I was trying to bring the show to a close. Thank you for your points, though. It's really good. <laughs> My God, do you go on when I'm trying to hurry <laughs> things up? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm well, largely kidding. Um, but no, just, just a really, really quick point on that. You know, just to just to annoy myself. Um, it is as much as I, I maintain the point that I think something needs to change, and I'm unconvinced that Roy has the capacity to change as much as he needs to. What I will say is, it's perfectly possible and feasible that Roy is doing exactly the job he was asked to do with exactly the resources he was asked to do it with. Um, and that if that's, if we, we get to the end of the season, that doesn't mean he should leave potentially because maybe the brief and the resources are different for next season. That those, that's a possible scenario to think about as well. Um, last well question. There was a, there was a question in there from Mark Drew. Uh, hi Mark. Um, where he, he says we're staring at relegation yet again and he's getting nervous about teams around us picking up points. I, I think Chris's point on, uh, and um, actually more, more Mike saying that we will we'll cruise to safety this season as well. Um, I, I, I agree with that. I don't think relegation is going to happen this year because I think there are a fair few teams worse than us. Um, I think we should be disappointed at averaging a point a game right now, but at the same time, um, I, personally, I'm not worried yet, but we might revisit that later in the season. Um, the final point, and I'm going to let you answer this, Tim, since you had to stop talking uh, when you wanted to earlier. Um, Liam's got in touch, and I'm going to just summarise Liam's comment in it to say that um, he feels fans need to be less reactionary and we should uh, know where we are as a team slash club. Uh, and if in some of these games we scraped a 1-0 here and there, you'd get minimal complaints for exactly the same performance. What are your views on that, Tim? Um, 
pretty much what I said earlier that yeah, probably our expectations do need to change now in that at the start of the season. The problem is Roy had such a good or the team had such a good end of last season. Um so I think the expectations were high because of that that we was going to move on to the next level. Uh, and we haven't done that. Um I agree with the others. I think we pick up enough points for now in the rest of the season. Um but it, I, I think it's it's kind of it, I think it's sort of um the the fans are doing that because Roy's sort of undone undone some of his good work from the end of last season. But as you've said, there could be things we don't know about. Um, but yeah, I think we probably all do need to take a check, a rain check now and sort of, as long as we survive this season, let's get through this season and then let's go, you know, start another new season next year. You've got five seconds, Just Chris. a very quick one to say, the Spurs um, Cup game is obviously on sale and there will be a singing section again. So in the spirit of optimism, come along to that, let's have a party and you know, who knows, maybe we'll win. Yeah, it's good fun at Grimsby. We'll, uh, we'll be doing that one again. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much uh, to everybody for listening. Um, thank you to my panel this week and also Mikey for producing. You can subscribe to our show via your chosen podcast apps so you don't miss a thing. Uh, there's three shows a week, so do make sure you subscribe and that way you don't miss any of that. So, uh, obviously, cheers to all of you can, who contacted the show. Uh, again, we, we don't get to them all every week. I think we did a fairly good job this week, but it is, it is pretty tricky to get to them all. So do keep engaging with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all that kind of stuff. And also visit backofthenest.com. Uh, we'll continue to release articles, videos, and all sorts of stuff on there as the site grows. Uh, back midweek, so we've got Love Sport Tuesday, 7 to 9 p.m. A preview show will be recorded either Wednesday or Thursday uh, for you ahead of the game. And then we're back Sunday, and that's to review the Liverpool defeat. Um, Sorry, Liverpool match. Liverpool match. Apologies. So, cheers, everyone. Bye. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.